Well, good morning. You know, um, got to milk some cows this morning. I didn't actually do any of the milking. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to pretend like I did. I, I did feed some cows, and I did uh, move a, a line, and and then I got to studying some more. And uh, my wife and kids milked cows. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank the Lord. I didn't get a complaint once about milking cows. And uh, David came up somewhere halfway in, uh, covered in cow manure, you know, because that's what happens when you milk sometimes. Not every time, but sometimes it does, and still not a complaint. And I just thank God for a wife that jumps in there and is is willing to help and willing to support. You you take the, and the devil knows this too, if he could take the family out, if he takes your wife out, your children out, it hinders the ministry. And it's not a coincidence that you look at a lot of missionaries and preachers that God has used in a mighty way and their families suffer big time because the devil attacks those families. The devil goes after the wife. The devil goes after your children, just like he did. We look at the first thing the devil said. You know, it's one of the things Pastor Sutton mentions quite a bit. He's like, what's the first thing Satan said? Yea, hath God said, but who he was talking to is Adam's wife. And the Bible says the wife is the weaker vessel. And the devil knows that, and he'll go after your family. So we have to pray and be, be on lookout that God protects our family. And not let the devil get in there, because that's one of the fastest ways he'll take you out of the ministry, is if he can blow up your entire family while you leave them in the, the back, and you've, you're putting all your effort into serving God, and that's good. But if God has given you a wife, and a God has given you a children, they are part of the ministry. Yeah. And so we cannot forget our families in the process of getting the gospel out. They, they're they're a part of it. I like that, Pastor Sutton. You brought your son along the other day. That's that excites me. The next generation seeing it. I like seeing all the kids in here. That excites me too. That's good. Amen. Families are an important thing in the ministry. When I say ministry, serving God. <laughs> all right, let's get into this. We're going to do a quick recap. Let's pray first. I need help. Pray for me this morning as I'm preaching. Pray that God would open His words. And pray that God would help me this morning and open the ears to hear. Lord God, we just thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this tent once again, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to preach, Lord God. We thank you for, for saving us, Lord God, that you shed your blood of, of your son, Jesus Christ. He shed his blood, Lord. And without that, there, I'd have no remission for my sins, Lord God. I couldn't stand before you, let alone preach your words, Lord God. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you saved this sinner. I'm thankful, Lord, that I can come to you, Lord. I'm thankful that I can open your words, Lord, and you do feed us. And that you, you know what we need when we need it, Lord. You know exactly how to feed us, Lord God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you search our hearts this morning, Lord. 
and give us what we need, Lord. Open our ears, Lord God. Help us to put away any and all the distractions, Lord God, and to just take time out this morning to focus on your words, Lord. Hide me behind the cross, Lord God, as I teach, Lord, as I preach, Lord. Don't let me get off on rabbit trails you don't want me to go down, Lord. Help me, Lord, just to preach your words. Help me to teach your words, Lord God, that it would be edifying to your people, Lord, and get me out of the way. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you to fill me, Lord God. We need your presence here and your power here, Lord. Without your power, we are powerless, Lord, and, and nothing will happen. We can go through the motions, Lord. We can sing songs, Lord. We can even sit here in the pews, Lord God. But if your power doesn't meet with us this morning, we are wasting our time, Lord God. We need your power, Lord, from on high, Lord. Send it, Lord God, right now, Lord. Fill me, Lord God. Meet with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So the first thing we got into was the fact that God does desire us to be his witness, he desires us to be his witness. And I'm just going to do a real quick recap here of, of what we went over because it all builds on itself. Each part of this builds on itself. If, if you don't get that God tells us to go out and gives us the job to go out and gives us the burden, then you won't see the reason that we need the Holy Spirit working with us to do accomplish his will. And so we have to, we, it builds on itself to get, and, and what we're going to get into today is the actual witnessing, the message that we are to bring, the how and why on that. That's what, Lord willing, we're going to get to. But first, I want to, not to re-preach everything, but to build upon it. And for those that are listening on audio, I'd recommend to go back the first part of this series if you haven't listened to it yet and, and work your way up to this. But God desires us to be a witness. He says that winning souls is wise. It's not a wasted time. It's not a wasted effort. Right. Amen. There's a lot of things that is a wasted time and wasted effort that we do. Yeah. Witnessing is not one of them. Don't listen to the devil's lies when, when God will put a burden on your heart. When, if you're walking through the grocery store or you're getting gas and you see somebody and God says witness to them, give them the gospel, that's not the devil. That's not the devil. Now, now God may say, all right, you're done. <laughs> and the devil may say, keep going and keep arguing or keep... You know, you, you have to mind God, but when God puts a burden on your heart to share the gospel, don't think, you know, I don't have time for this, a waste of time, wasted effort. It's not a wasted time. It's not wasted effort. Even if they reject it, it's still not a wasted effort. And that's what we got into talking about. It's our job to be the sower. It's our job to sow the seed. You know, and, and if it hits rocky soil, it hits rocky soil. If it hits weeds, it hits weeds. We sow and we sow and we sow and we let God worry about the soil. Yeah. We let the Holy Spirit place the seed where he's going to place the seed. Yeah. And you know, I was thinking about that and ground changes. Ground changes. There's, yeah. there's, I've seen uh, right across the street from me, there's a field that used to be real rocky and it's no longer rocky. Some of the best cropland around, people moved in from Kansas, some Amish did. And they thought you, know, you had to plow the soil. Well, nobody plows soil in the Ozarks barely ever because it just brings up rocks and makes the ground useless. But he was, gonna, he was stuck in his ways. He was going to plow the soil. And it, sure enough, brought up all types of rocks. The crops were horrible. And him and his, what was it, six kids, I think, and, and 
their wives and year after year plucking rocks and plucking rocks now it's one of the best fields around and if i were to try to duplicate it it would start out with tons of rocks so i haven't i won't plow any ground there in my area but my point being is that somebody may that seed may land on stony ground and they may it may quench that out and they may burn out and god may change their heart later on and that seed that you planted then gets life in it later down the road. So our job is not to focus on the result, leave that to the Holy Spirit and sow the seed and sow the seed. We just keep sowing the seed. You'd think that farmer was crazy, you know it? (laughs) I mean, who throws seed on rocks and weeds and everything else? And and the other part about that is, as God tells us right off the get-go, that 25% of your, your crop is going to land on good ground. And he says, go, <laughs> go sow the seed. I mean, you think about it from a worldly perspective, who sets you up and says, hey, 75% of this is going to fail. Now go. The only, or, or more, the only way you can, you can get any joy out of this is having your heart right towards God. The only way this makes any sense, witnessing, the only way it makes sense to give out the gospel is to know that you're glorifying God. And that's what you put in your heart is I want to glorify God and obey God and trust the Holy Spirit and, and ask him to fill us and go before us go behind us, go beneath us, and do his work. And know that we're just his servants. Yeah, You get off of that, and that's the other thing we got into, is the part of the Holy Spirit and the part of man. You know, uh, let's turn in our Bibles real quick to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I know it sounds like we're going over the same thing again and again, and, and somewhat we will, and the Bible does that. Have you read your Bible? Yeah. You'd be like, hey, we, we just got done reading about this. And God will tell you again. Yeah. And then he'll come from another angle and he'll tell you again. It's because we're thick-headed. We're stiff-necked. And God knows that sowing the seed, giving out the gospel, being a witness for him, is you're on the battlefield. That's, that's the battlefield right there. And you can go from one house and you can have the right attitude. You can be full of the Holy Spirit. You can get in there. You lead that house or you talk to that person and you witness and you are drained. And then you're left with what? What you studied. And then all these verses that you think we're just going over right now and it gets boring to you. That's what's going to keep you. It's the word of God hidden in your heart. First Corinthians chapter three. We're going to start here in verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Did you see that? Paul planted, Apollos came over and watered, but who gives the increase? God did. It wasn't, it wasn't Paul's concern or Apollos' concern that there was increase. You understand? They weren't, they weren't saying, oh, I've got to bring forth some type of increase out of this. I've got to yield a crop here. 
And it's important we have that mind that God is the one that gives the increase. You get that flipped around and you think it's your responsibility to give the increase, you'll end up perverting the gospel, watering it down, taking the salt out of it, or you'll give yourself the credit for the, and then you'll give yourself the credit for fake fruit. And so it's so important that we realize that it is God and God alone that gives the increase. Another thing we can learn from this is that Paul planted and then he moved. God told him, keep, keep planting, keep going. And then Apollos comes up behind him and waters. And we may hit a house and get rejection, or you may talk to somebody on a street corner or in a parking lot and not know where they're at. And then God sends somebody else right behind you. And maybe years down the road, you know, I think of this one time where was a, uh, there was a man and um, they were witnessing at a, you guys know Janet Reno? She came down to Florida. I don't know a whole lot about her. I know she's some political. I don't even know Republican, Democrat, none of that, but she's fancy, whatever. And this church, if there was an event, they were there to give the gospel out. And one of the security guards took them up to Janet, Rito, Janet Reno's um, security team and said, hey, this group, this church here, they're not going to cause you a problem. They're here to give out the gospel, which praise the Lord for that testimony. And when you witness the way God tells you to, it's actually a positive testimony. We're not there to disrupt. We're not there to cause problems. We're there to give the gospel out, and we'll get into that later. Right. We're not there to, to, to say, okay, you guys need to stop doing what you're doing. We're there to give them the gospel. They didn't come to an event to hear you preach. Right. You're there to preach to them and give them the truth and the gospel if you go to an event. And if they listen, praise the Lord. Again, God's the one that gives the increase. And you can watch it. He'll grab somebody by the ear, bring them over, and you'll have what we call a divine appointment. That's God is dealing with that person. Anyways, so uh, they, they, they took his team over there, and, and they said they're not going to be a problem. So they witnessed and witnessed and witnessed, and then their event started. They stopped because they didn't want to be a distraction or disruption. They weren't there to be a distraction or disruption. They are there to get the gospel out. And while they stopped, they prayed and said, God, if there's any way possible, let me speak to this Janet Reno. This is high up lady coming to be the governor. She's going to retire down in Florida, wants to be a governor in Florida. And after everything was over, they continued to witness. And Janet Reno was standing up on the, the platform and everybody left. Everybody left. And this preacher came up to her. And this, this isn't like this preacher. But he took her by the hand and said, ma'am, can I tell you the gospel? And she stopped and she listened. And he said, you know, when all this fame and everything passes from you and nobody cares who you are anymore, God and his word and the, the gospel will still be there. When everything fades and you think you're so important and you've got so many people depending on you right now, when they all say I'm done with her and they're moving on to the next person, God will be there. And God desires to have a relationship with you now. Years and years and years went by. And, and no security guards got upset, nothing on that. Years and years went by and, and they read in a paper that Janet Rito had gotten some type of cancer, I can't remember what it was, and was at a cabin all by herself. And I just wonder if God, it, you, God sent that messenger there at that time 
And then there she is all by herself. No longer, nobody cares about her no more. She's not anything that the politicians can use or the world can use. The world's done with them. And when the world gets done, rugging you through the trash and through the gutter, it drops you. Done. The gospel, the gospel come through to her. And I don't know whether she got saved or not. Again, God giveth the increase. And we don't know what's going on in someone's life and where they're at. It's our responsibility to sow, to plant. And the Holy Spirit gives us the increase. He gives us the ability to to preach and to water. All right, verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth. Nobody likes to hear that, do they? But if you can get this perspective, it will help you to understand that you're not anything. I'm nobody. I'm a nobody. I don't deserve your time this morning. I don't deserve anybody's time when we knock on a door. I don't deserve their time on a street corner. I am a nobody. But the gospel is everything. The gospel is the the difference between being in darkened sin and death and quickening life. We're nobodies, though, and you have to get that in your head, and that will help you. You say, well, and here's the problem, is our country and our society preaches self-esteem, 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 self-esteem. Build up your self-esteem. You're somebody. You're a really great person. Just just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and don't you listen to anybody that says you're nobody. You're something, and you're something special. In one sense, we're a child of the king, but it's not the emphasis on us that makes us anything special because we're not. We're simply children of the king. It's our relationship to God and his work through us. Everything has to point to God. And you've got to get to a point where you realize that you're a nothing. Yeah, that's right. So then he, neither is he that planteth anything. That's right. no. You're nothing. Amen. God is everything. And so if God is everything, you know what that also does? It takes all that burden and responsibility, okay, on yourself. Now, I'm not talking about a burden for a loss. I'm talking about in my my own abilities of I'm going to do something, how good and how slick I have to sound. You understand what I'm saying here? It takes all of that away because you are nobody. It doesn't matter how much you, you, you know, how smooth you sound. Yeah. Amen. That's right. It doesn't matter how good, you know, you can, you can present the gospel. You're nobody. From the the very best that does it to the newborn Christian who doesn't know very much of his Bible, maybe doesn't have even a verse memorized, nothing, but he knows that God saved him and he's got new life in him and he wants to share that with somebody else. They're on equal ground. They're nobody. This is Paul we're talking about. He wrote the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament, and he's writing by the Holy Spirit through him and says, hey, you're not anything. And you've got to get a hold of that. We're not anything. Thank you, Lord. And in that, that points to Christ. Amen. When we start thinking we're somebody and we know what we're doing and we've got this thing figured out. I know what I'm going to say. I know what verses I'm going to go to. And it's my ability to win souls. You've lost it right there. And if you don't think the devil will tempt you with that, you're wrong. Get a hold of this truth and hide it in your heart. Hide it in, put it right in there. In there. And hide it in there. Because when, when the devil goes to puffing you up, you're nobody. 
And when the devil goes to saying, hey, you're nobody, you say, amen, I'm nobody, but God's everything, and I'm his servant. I'm his child. He's the one that gives increase. It's not based on your ability. But notice here, Al, it's the Holy Spirit and the servant that goes together. You notice Paul did plant, Apollos did water. And he that planteth and he that watered, they needed to plant, they needed to water. God gave the increase, and they're nobodies. Look at this. And every man, verse 8, every man shall receive of his own reward according to his own labor. Amen. Labor. That's another terminology that we don't like this day and age. We don't like to labor. That's right. We look down at the laymen or the laborers on a construction site. You know, I always was told what a laborer was when I worked with my dad in construction. It's your job to take those two by fours over there and bring them over here where the guys that knew how to put the walls together could use them. Yeah. That's a great job. <laughs> Splinters and everything else. And you look back on it, you're like, I, I didn't do anything. You know, I, I moved wood around. Right. And, and then, okay, I, I need some more nails for my nail gun. Okay, I'll go get more nails. Right. All right, we need sheet metal up on top, so I'll lean sheet metal up against it. It's labor. Right. By the end of the day, you're tired, but I didn't do any of the fancy work that got the house up, so it seems. Right. Now, you know, I've, I've gotten further in construction, and I realize how, how great it is to have children that are running grab me stuff. You know, it's important. It's an important job. But here's the part I want you to get a hold of. It is labor. No matter what job it is, it's work. And so when you're tired at the end of witnessing to somebody, don't be surprised. It's labor. You're going to be worn out. It's going to be a fight there. It's going to be a fight afterwards because it's laboring. It's laboring to go through the word of God with somebody and they're scratching their head. And you're, you're showing them plain scripture and you're pleading with them and your heart is breaking for them as their, their eyes are blinded. And God begins to peel the blinders off and to show them truth and to take down those bars uh, that they've been trapped in and ensnared by Satan. And the Holy Spirit begins to work on them as you are laboring and you will be flat worn out by the end of it. Amen. Because it's a labor. We labor for a lot of things though that will not result in, in a tiny amount of a soul going from death to life. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner that's saved. One sinner. That's something that's worth all of our time and all of our effort. And yet we don't want to labor for it. Look at this, verse 9. For we are his laborers, look at this, together with God. You see what he's saying here? Is you are working together with the Holy Spirit. And that puts fear in me. <laughs> because I am nothing. I know how wicked I am. I know how bad I am. And how I have nothing to contribute. But yet God Almighty, the one that spoke the world into existence, says, I want to go to work with you. Praise the Lord that he doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to set you right over there. And I'm going to, you know, I, I think of with, with my kids doing construction and stuff like that. Now we'll go back to that analogy. It's fresh in my mind. There are some times when I'm trying to teach my kids something or build something with my kids that I know if I begin to teach them on this, it's going to take 
two, three, four times the amount of time to get something done that I could just easily pop, pop, pop and done. But because I want to explain it to them and teach them the steps along the way, it's going to take time. But I love my children, you see, and I want them to learn how to build and I want to spend time with them working. God wants to spend time with you working. He doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. He could save a soul and show them the light and save that soul like that. And they can know more Bible than you within an hour of God just dumping it into their head. But he doesn't do it that way. God chose to work with us laborers together with Christ. That's like me and my boy building something together. That's me and my father God going to work together and him showing and guiding and directing along the way. When I don't know what to say, he says, say this. When I don't know where to turn, he says, turn here. Amen. And God just brings you along and you're working with God and you get done with it and you say, God, that was neat. <laughs> God, look what, you, well, look what you did. My father just, just went through here and just went through all the, that, that bondage that person was under and just cut right through it. And you sit back in awe of what God did and it makes you realize you're about that big. And your father's about that big. And yet he wants to work with you. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing if you get a hold of that truth. Look at this. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. The church is God's building. He builds it up. He brings you along. He says he gives you milk to grow thereby. He gives you the desire for the milk and then he gives you meat and he grows you up according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. We've all got different jobs in this thing and God will have somebody building that. When you build a house, a lot of things have to come together at one time. You know, you, you, you have one wall up there, it better have some braces on there until you get another wall to support it, right? Well, as God is building his work, and it's God's work, the church, uh, uh, I don't want to sidetrack too far, but the church is God's work. God is the one that bears a church, just like God is the one that brings breathes new life into somebody upon salvation. He, he's the one that brings the new life into him. He does the same for a church. He breathes life into that church and builds that church up. It's not man's ability to build a church. It's God that builds a church through men. All right. So we see that man has a part and we see that the Holy Spirit has a part and that God labors with us. All right. So we ask ourselves, and I want to deal with this and then we're going to move on to the actual message. Sticking with the message, my message is what we're bringing the gospel out. Um, But what good does it do? I was thinking about this this morning. Anybody watch the Super I don't even know who played the Super Bowl. I, I, I couldn't have a clue. One, I, I guarantee there were two teams probably at the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, and I, the, I used to get a real into football and stuff, but there is so much filth there. We won't go down that rabbit trail. But you have people that led up talking about the Super Bowl. ESPN and all the other 
talking heads out there and men at their work spend hours over hours studying all the statistics and everything else like it matters. And they'll spend countless hours over a Super Bowl. You, you tell me, what good does that do? Not a bit. And then they play the game, right? And one of the teams wins and one loses. And then they still talk about it. What good does that do? Not a thing. Is it going to affect the outcome of the game? The game already happened. So why are they sitting around talking about it? You know what it comes down to? They love football. They love football. And they love the details of football. They love to dwell on football. And they they like to talk to other people about football. And they find somebody else that, let's talk about this. And the whole world wants to talk about something. And it doesn't do a thing. They're not even on the team. And the players don't even care whether or not that they're studying them out or not. They don't care that you've got a Kansas City Chiefs ball cap on. It doesn't make a lick of difference to them. Hey, you're on a team that God cares and we can talk about them and you ask what good does it do spending fellowship with God working with God Amen. you talk about what good does it do seeing lost sinners come to Christ Amen. building your faith in God as he brings you along what good does it do you know something the good has already been done When Christ shed his blood upon the cross and paid for my sins because of his love for me and his love for this world, the good was done. I'm just telling people about the good. (laughs) What good does it do? All right, so when we go out with the message here, we have to mind the Lord and obey God at all times. It's so important. And if you get in the flesh, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. If you get into the flesh while you are witnessing, you're not going to like this, but you need to repent Amen. immediately. Amen. That's right. Don't put it off and say, well, I'll get to that after we're done witnessing here. Right. Don't put it off and say, okay, you know, when we're done, we're done giving out gospel tracts, then I'm going to go ahead and get right with God about that time I got in the flesh. If God shows you that you are in the flesh, immediately stop and, and pray to God and repent and say, God, I was in the flesh there. Yeah. Look at this. It's a struggle that you will deal with while you're witnessing. Uh, Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. There it is. Right there in the Bible. If you are in your flesh, you will not be performing a good thing. Period. End of story. So if you get in your flesh while you're witnessing, whether that is to be angry, whether that is to water down the gospel so maybe they'll hear it, at any point you get in your flesh and you get out, that's out of the mind of God, that's out of obedience to God and into your own carnal mind, you are in the flesh at that point and God says, not me, God says there dwelleth no good thing. Amen. You're done with the, any good that can come out of that witness, no longer good. Yeah. And we can see that by the results all across our land of churches that witness and soul win and no good comes out of it. Oh, sure, they've got numbers. Right. You know, there's, and I don't want to get too far off here. I will stop. I'm going to go down that. But there, there are a ton of converts 
that do not know how they got saved. Right. They, they couldn't even tell you the gospel. Right. That's not a convert. That, that's, that's somebody who bought into a false gospel. No, no work of the Holy Spirit was done, and that happens when we get into our flesh. All right. And so we, we go, first of all, lining up with the message last night, watching and waiting. We say, how do we get started? How do you get started witnessing? How do you get started being a witness for Christ? There's a lot of different ways to witness all through this Bible. When God gives you a burden at the gas station to go talk to somebody, there's an opportunity to begin witnessing yeah. right there. It's all around us in our land. It's so plentiful to even fathom the question, how do I get started, kind of boggles the mind a bit. But I understand that is a legitimate concern for somebody who's looking to get into witnessing and doesn't know much about it. How do I get going with this thing? The answer is watch and wait. Get with God, pray with God, ask for a burden, and then when you see lost souls out there, whether it be at a house-to-house, a public preaching, street preaching is, is in the Bible. I know it's not popular, but it's in the Bible, and we'll get into that. Witness. Pray, and God will put a burden on your heart. You can witness in a library. You could witness at a gas station. You could witness in a Walmart parking lot. You could witness... From house to house, you could witness after a tent revival. You can witness at any point. The opportunities are plentiful. They are so plentiful in our land. We don't have a lack of people around us. Even out here in Dixon, Missouri, there are a lot of people. Watch that road up and down, up and down. There's a ton of people all over the place. You go into St. Roberts, good luck. There's a ton of people. So how do we get started? Pray. And ask God for a burden. Ask him to fill you and give you a burden. And watch and wait. And God fills us with his power and that burden upon you and sends you out. You say, that's great. God put a burden on my heart. That's, that's, that's wonderful. I finally have a burden. How do I start the conversation? Yeah. And here's one thing I don't want to happen. You are not supposed to witness like me. I'm not supposed to witness like Brother Joshua. I'm not to copy Brother Gabe. We're not to copy each other. That's a problem in Christianity. That's a problem. Is we'll say, okay, oh, Brother Burks, you're a great witnesser. I want to be like Brother Burks. And so here's what I do. I drop the Holy Spirit over here, and I say, hey, Brother Burks, can you give me some tips? Can you give me some hints? And he says, oh, oh, yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't ever do this. But he'd say, oh, yeah, here. And he tries to become the Holy Spirit. And he says, hey, say this and say it like this. And then what you want to do is say it like that. I don't want to get into that. I don't want any part of that. Amen. What you need to do is seek God, and God gives us what to say. Because I don't even know what I'm going to say, honestly. I knock a door. Hello, what do you want here? You know, and I may say, you know, hey, where are you going to spend eternity? I may say, hey, can I share my testimony with you? you I don't know. I may say, hey, this is a beautiful house. <laughs> God knows exactly where that person's at. And God, we have to rely on God, not on man. Amen. We have to rely on God. God will be the one to guide us. If we look to any man, any book, any person to guide us as opposed to the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself falling short. 
because the Holy Spirit isn't a part of that. He doesn't bring glory to men. God doesn't bring glory to men. He brings glory to him. God is the one that gets to increase. Again, we are nothings. Not anything is what the scripture says. So why would I want to copy what a not anything person is? You know, it doesn't, it wouldn't make sense, right? But the reality is we read that and we say, oh yeah, I agree with, it's the Bible. I agree with that. And then we turn right around in our head and say, that person, he's got it going on. He's, he's smart. He's, he's witty. And we put our faith into a man and that'll lead you astray every single time. So what I would like to do here is go through sticking with the message, how you start the message off. There's all different types of ways to do it. There really is. Listen to the Holy Spirit and what he puts on your heart. Go with it. Amen. And as you go, God will guide you. There's been times I've, I've knocked on a door or talked to somebody on a street corner and said the wrong thing. <laughs> I started off the conversation the wrong way. Absolutely. And God says, hey, don't do that. <laughs> and there's been times I was working with my kids and they put a nail where a nail does not need to go. I say, hey, don't do that. (laughs) And they learn, right? Right. That's how it is with God. God guides, God directs. And so start the conversation. Say, hey, good morning, good evening, whatever. Be friendly. Have the joy of the Lord inside of you. The Holy Spirit will naturally do that to you as he reminds you, hey, I saved you. You were once low. You were once filthy. You walked in the same garbage that they walked in. The only difference between you and them is he plucked you out of the fire. Amen. That's right. And you can't help but to be reminded constantly of that by giving out the gospel. It's a constant reminder of where you were and what God has done for you. And that ought to put a smile on your face. Amen. That ought to put some joy. And it's an odd sense of joy because there is a weeping with it. You understand? Because somebody is rejecting what God has done. And they're, they're trapped in sin. So there is a weeping while rejoicing. It, it's, I can't quite explain it. But the Bible says you're weeping while rejoicing. If you get out and give out the gospel and God breaks your heart over a lost sinner that's going to hell, and then you go give it to the next guy and he receives it, you'll begin to understand what rejoicing and weeping is. You'll begin to see, okay, I can bring in the sheaves and be weeping and rejoicing. Because at one sense, I'm happy because I'm pleasing God Almighty, and I know that he gives the increase, but God has given me a heart that is broken towards sinners. And so, yes, God fills you with the joy that you're right with God, you're following God. He sends his Holy Spirit and indwells you and gives you power, and there's a sense of joy in that. And there's the same sense of, they're going to hell. They're lost. And how to describe all of that? I don't know. That's my best ability. And it falls short. But you give out the gospel, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. You know, I I think about this, you know, we get stuck into ruts too. Or we'll say the same thing and again and again. And not necessarily just following somebody, but now I'm following myself. And maybe something that God used for somebody. And and so I go, okay, I'm going to use that all the time then. You know, this is a, and, and I don't even ask the Holy Spirit about it anymore. I don't say, hey, God, give me the words. I say, I've got the words because I've seen this work before. Right. And so I begin to get into my own. So what I'm going to do, okay, all right, I'm going to set them up 
and I'm going to give him, you know, ask him where he spent eternity. And then when he says no, and then I'm going to go ahead and hit him with the Ten Commandments, or I'm going to hit him with, you know, Romans 3.23. And the Romans road is a great thing. It's the gospel. And I'm not saying don't use the Romans road. Don't, don't, don't leave here and say, oh, Brother Michael said don't use the Romans road. You're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you listen to the Holy Spirit and don't get stuck into a rut to where you think you've got it figured out and you're going to do this regardless of what God says or not and you leave him out of it. You understand what we're, what we're saying here? That's good. So having said that, I've been stuck in a rut before and I was dealing with somebody and I went through a lot of the Romans road and we got to the point where, you know, out of the mouth confession is made unto salvation. They said, yes, I've done that. And everything about this person screamed that they weren't saved. They didn't understand salvation. They didn't, they didn't have any conviction. They had some conviction, but they didn't have the, a testimony saying that they were saved. Right. But yet they said they received Christ as their Savior. Right. And I'm scratching my head. And Brother Joshua, you were there. And God dealt with me and said, ask her if she's been born again. Well, you say born again, and that'll scratch a lot of heads. A lot of people go, born again? Yeah. Which that's a good indication they're not born again. And so we go, and then God was like, all right, show her what being born again is. The Bible plainly lays it out. Jesus Christ says, ye must be born again. The Bible says you can be born of an incorruptible seed, or you can be born of a corruptible seed, and we must be born of the incorruptible seed, the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So you go through and you explain what born again is, and by the time we got done with that, she said, I haven't been born again, and tears started to flow down her face. God has to be the one to guide and lead. So don't get stuck thinking, okay, well, I'm going to do is ask her if she's done this and do this, and I'm going to follow this and get this whole systematic approach and lead the Holy Spirit out. You memorize scripture. Memorize the Romans road. Memorize the Hebrews road. Memorize the Isaiah road. But then when you're witnessing, you say, God, what do you want me to do? Lead this thing. And, and, and don't go through emotion and say, oh, well, God, what do I do? Okay, now I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm saying earnestly, watch and wait. Amen. Watch and wait as you're giving out the gospel. And you know what's great is God sends people in twos. And I'm not saying it's impossible to go by one, but I believe Jesus sent people in twos on purpose. And if you go out giving out the gospel, you'll see why God sends people in twos. Yeah. And while somebody's giving out the gospel, it is so important to have somebody there that's praying because there is a battle spiritually that you cannot see. And on these houses, there has been so much demonic garbage infiltrated into our society and our culture that for anybody to sit there and listen to the gospel and our culture living according to the course of the world is a work of God and the battle gets heated intensely. So if you're there with somebody, do not zone out and say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to just, I got this house off, so I'm going to let Brother Gabe handle this one. That's a nice looking house. Ah, what? Is that a tractor? Hmm. Hmm. You know, oh, there's some nice looking flowers. And if you don't think the devil's going to point all those things out to you and try to sidetrack you, you're wrong. You're in the heat of battle and what he's doing is luring you off. And your own flesh is your own problem too. 
Your own flesh is going to say, well, this is cool. And you can become distracted like that. And now instead of there being two people there, there's really one. You pray and you ask God to help who's giving out the gospel, help them to respond to the gospel. Pray that God will bind Satan. Hey, your Bible, you know why we say bind Satan? The Bible says, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That's what your Bible says. Whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I don't understand or comprehend all of that, but I believe my Bible. And so when God says he'll bind somebody for me, and that means to tie them up, to keep them not ability to distract, not ability to destroy. If you're bound, you're bound. That's why police officers, one of the first things they do with somebody who's, they bind them, right? And then they say, okay, that person is bound. We're not going to worry about them anymore, right? They, They throw the cuffs on them. And if they're real bad, they'll bind their feet. And then they throw them in the back of the car. And that, that it doesn't matter how bad to the bone that person was, they're pretty much useless at that point. Yeah. All hyped up on drugs, everything else, they're not going to do a whole lot if they're bound by their hands and their feet. Yeah. And when we pray and we ask God to bind Satan, he'll do it. Yeah. I've seen him do it. That's right. How else do you explain somebody coming out of Catholicism? How else do you explain somebody coming out from a college that's been preached and preached and preached that God isn't real, evolution is is how this earth came about, and God takes down all of the, what, four, five, eight years of studying of high school, I mean, it's all through it now, so actually it's more like 12 years of schooling that you're fighting against, that they've been told there's no God, live how you want, and that anybody says there's a God, they're a fool, and that's what the public education system teaches. I remember going to the public school system when I was in the fourth grade. My dad said, hey, if they, if they say the world's over 6,000 years, you raise your hand up, and, and, or millions of years, you raise your hand up and tell them the Bible says it's 6,000 years old. And we were in there to battle. And it was rough. We got sent home several times. We're wearing Christian t-shirts and handing out tracts and everything else. It's a rough... But I know, because I was there, and this was a while ago, it's gotten worse now. Now they're pushing transgenderism on these kids. So you're fighting all of that. You can't fight that. You cannot bind Satan. But God Almighty can bind Satan over that person's mind and the influence that they've had for years and years and years over somebody's life, and God can bind Satan on that person to allow them to hear the gospel. But he asked you to pray. He asked you to ask him to bind Satan. So, I don't mean to chase rabbits too far, but while you're with somebody, don't sit there and get distracted. You pray and pray your heart out. And sometimes while you're praying, God will say, hey, look over here, and he'll send you over to a verse. And then you'll have an opportunity to jump in there as well. And God will use that. God will use it. Don't get distracted out there. Don't get stuck into a rut and stick to the message. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Stick to the message. Stick to being a witness and testifying of what Christ has done and stick to the book. You say, well, that's pretty obvious, don't you think? It should be, right? But when you go to witness and go to give out the gospel, you'll have several times where somebody will want to sit there and talk to you about manuscripts that happens hey if you don't think the bible issue is a big deal you witness right you witness right 
You go from house to house. You talk to lost sinners, and they will bring up the Bible issue. That's right. It's happened every single time we've gone out this week. The Bible issue is a big deal. Having said that, the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit. So when they don't get it and they're not picking up on it, you stick to the message. Don't allow the devil to sidetrack you way off over here. I've had him want to talk to me about aliens. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of find the topic interesting, but that's not what I'm there for. Yeah. I'm not there to talk about aliens. Help me if they bring up tractors. No. <laughs> but I'm not there to talk about tractors. And I'm not there to talk about their philosophies and ideas. And if you're not careful, you'll become the one that they are witnessing to right. as opposed to you witnessing to them. Because the devil would like for you to just sit there and shut up while he pours the world out on you. Right. And you sit there, oh, okay. Yeah. And you'll get beat on and beat on and beat on. Yeah. And that ain't from God. Amen. You pray to God and you stick to the Bible. This is what cuts. This is our sword. It's a double-edged sword. It'll cut through all their shenanigans and everything else they want to bring up. It'll cut through it so fast, Amen. you got to stick to it. It's salt. And we're going to read about what happens when the salt loses its savor. I know you guys know this, but we got to read this. Verse 13, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its, his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Glorify your father, which is in heaven. That's what this is about here, is being the salt. Now, you know, in the fire department, they always joke about being salty. And everybody wants a burnt helmet. In fact, we've had rookies that have taken their helmets and put oil all over them and stuck them in the, the outside grill to, to get them nice and salty looking. And they go, yeah, I'm a salty fireman. And we're like, how, how did that happen? You didn't think we'd notice that you went from a brand new helmet to a Salt, but oh yeah, I'm salty. And the reason they want to put on like they're salty is because that says, well, I've got some experience. Right. We have no experience. We cover that. We are nothing. But God is everything. Okay? And it's good to be salty with the word of God. Right. Now, you can go so far with this as, oh, watch this. And you can pour out the wrath of God on somebody. Yeah, that's right. And you, or you could flip it the other way around. And leave out repentance and leave out the wrath of God and say, oh, Jesus just loves you so much. He just, he just wants to give you a hug. Jesus just wants to just, oh, he just wants to wrap you right up right now. Don't you want Jesus just to wrap? And that makes me sick. Because yeah. God does love him, but it's perverting it. And guess what? The salt lost its savor. And if you go so far the other way, oh, God's just up there with a big old, big old two by four just waiting for you to mess up to smack you over the head with it. And oh, you best watch. Then your salt will lose its savor. Here, let's look at this. Colossians chapter four. Colossians chapter four, verse six. 
Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. The Holy Spirit works inside of you to give you an answer. And we've got to have a balance of, and the Holy Spirit knows the balance because you don't know that individual. There's some military men that if you don't just get straight to straight to business and show them where they're at with God, they're not going to listen to you because they don't want to be this effeminate type of, oh yeah, that's all kumbaya and that's all they think Christianity is. So God will say, okay, hey, wake them up real quick and show them where they're at. Show them where the wrath of God is on their sin. Show them that they're a sinner and make it plain to them. And then the next guy, he's he's been hurting and he lost his wife, whatever. We don't know, again, we don't know where these people are at. And they're broken, and God has an unbroken spot, and God says, hey, repent and call on him. God sent his son. There's so many different ways to give the same gospel. There's so many different ways to it. You say, okay, which one's right? They're all right if you follow the Holy Spirit. And God is the only one that knows the condition of that person. But when we get into our own inclination, our own ideas, the salt loses its savor. So we got to stick to the message. We got to stick to the message. And we should be burdened with a message for the lost around here. And the first thing a person has to realize, let's turn to Romans real quick. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. A lot, most people, I would say, do not enjoy confrontation. There are some that are snapped out there that they just look for confrontation. But the Holy Spirit inside of you, and, and most people generally do not like confrontation. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not looking for a fight when I go out from house to house. Naturally, I don't want to, to not get along. I like to get along with people. And most people are that way. And so having said that, you know it's going to cause some confrontation when you say, hey, you're a lost sinner. But if you don't get to a point where they realize that they are a lost sinner, then why do they need to get saved? So if you drop that out of the gospel, you drop that out of the message, you've ruined the message. We can't drop that out. And you guys know this, but we're going to go back over it because we need to have this in our hearts and our mind where the scripture is on this. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous no not one there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after god that's the lost condition you say why don't you understand this god told you they weren't going to understand it you said they don't seem like they're seeking god told you they weren't going to seek that's right that's why you're there that's why you're talking to the lost person and you got to get them to understand this. Verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Boom. That immediately kicks the legs out of every single one of us. So don't be surprised when they don't understand. Don't be surprised when they're not seeking like you'd like to see them seek. But they, weren't, they didn't ask me what the gospel was. They didn't want to talk about it. They started running when I brought up the gospel. They're not seeking. That's why God sends us out and says, go ye into all the world. Go ye. He doesn't say, all right, sit down and get comfortable. The world's about to come and ask you a bunch of questions. That ain't how it goes. 
God sends us out so they don't know. Turn real quick again to chapter, keep in Romans there, chapter 5 and verse 12. You guys know this one as well, I hope. Wherefore, and if you, and if you don't know these, that's all right. Mark in your Bible. Highlight them in your Bible. Get them into your heart. Get them into your mind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. If a person doesn't realize they're a sinner before God, you're not going to start anywhere with them. You got to get them to see where they're at. Were they born from Adam? Was there, did they come from a woman? who came from a woman, who came from a woman, where the seed passed from the man all the way down, they're born from Adam. It doesn't take long for somebody to get a hold of that, and it, and it doesn't take long for somebody to see, yeah, I'm a sinner. And the Bible condemns sin. We got to start there. And then we have to go to the wrath of God. Stay right there. Go to chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Notice where the Bible starts with them here. For the wages of sin, it deals with sin first, and the wages, what that brings forth, is death. Everybody knows that they're going to die at some point. They've seen death. If you've lived very long at all, you've seen death. And the gift of God is eternal life. And then it starts to work into the gift. Turn real quick to Isaiah chapter 57. The reason why I bring this up, and it is so crucial, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but the reason it's so crucial is this has been left out of the gospel all over our country, all over our land, all through our churches. They don't want to bring up sin. They don't want to bring up the wrath of God. They don't want to bring up death. They don't want to say, hey, you're a sinner. That's been left out. You can see it on billboards all over our country. There, in Springfield, Jesus accepts you just how you are. There was a sign that says, um, it's going to, oh, don't worry, Jesus has it. Or God has this. Sign Jesus was a sign I passed on the way here. And so the world has been bombarded with this false gospel and this, this whole thing that they are just fine, hunky-dory, God loves them, and God would never send them to hell. And it's preached by churches all across our land. So we've got to get this down and in our heads that know that it's Bible. Yeah. It's not the, oh, I, won't, I want you to preach, you know, sin. Or, oh, you know, Brother Sutton preaches on sin. It's Bible. Right. That's the truth that's going to free them is this truth. Isaiah 57, verse 21 here. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Amen. They've got no peace. No peace. The wicked have no peace. That sign up there where we're reading, Jeremiah 6, they say, peace, peace, and they have no peace. That doesn't mean they won't say they have it. You see the hippies out there with their peace symbol and their kumbaya, smoking their weed, and they talk about peace while they are literally committing suicide or putting themselves in such sedation from drugs because they are so miserable. They have no peace. They lie about their peace, but they are searching for peace. And the world fills it with the marijuana. The world fills it with drugs. The world fills it with alcohol. 
But here's the peace. The wicked have no peace. And you've got to show them that. You've got to show them that they're a sinner. You've got to show them that there is the wrath of God. Go to, go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Lord, help us to get a hold of this truth. You know, there's this song, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. And somewhere in that hymn, it talks about the more I hear it, the sweeter it is. And that's true. I love to hear the story. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 here. And death and hell, we'll back up. And I saw, verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. That's the great person, that's the small person. They stood before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, which were judged out of those things, which were written in the books according to their works. They're going to be judged according to their works. So you've got to get them to a point where they see they are a sinner. That's where a person has to be. I'm a sinner. Now you get them to a point where God says he's going to judge them according to their works. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead. That's pretty amazing. You've got a vast ocean where people have died in this ocean. We do not know the depths of it. And how many people are in the ocean, I do not know. And we could not retrieve them if we wanted to. It's hard to retrieve a dead body out of Lake Springfield. Much less the ocean. And God's going to say, hey, sea, give me all the dead. And the sea says, here's all the dead. Anyways, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. You think about it, they're going to spend time in hell, wailing and gnashing of teeth in hell. And then they will be called up out of hell. Only to be judged and sentenced to the lake of fire. And this isn't the topic everybody wants to talk about. Because I can see loved ones of mine that'll be standing there. And it does break my heart. That's where this world's headed. Who's going to tell them the truth? Who's going to tell them the truth? You think they're going to listen to this on their country radio station? You think they're going to listen to this on the Christian radio station that plays pop? The majority of churches, they don't even call themselves churches for the most part. They call themselves couches or pillows or vineyards or the whatever is out there. These social clubs that try to substitute themselves for a church. They're not going to hear this there. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to open this up? Yeah, I know this is salty. And that salt is going to sting the wound of sin. And we know that. They have to hear this message. They have to see into eternity that God is going to judge them according to their works is what the Bible says. That's not my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. And you can confess that to the person that you're witnessing to. Hey, I'm a nobody. It don't matter what my thoughts and opinions are, but if God says it, and he does, and you show them the scripture. And he says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever, 
was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's what your Bible says. God is a God of wrath. He has wrath. That's right. Amen. And his wrath is greater than any man's temper tantrum. His wrath is greater than any judge with the ability to throw somebody in jail. His wrath is eternal. And you've got, you don't shy away from that or you take that salt right out of the message. You'll take the salt that will save them out of the message. It it frustrates me and it breaks my heart. Because if somebody doesn't come to this point and see, I remember being a young boy and hearing hell preached on and going home at night and going, God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I believe what that man said. I don't want to go to hell. And it stayed in my mind and it bothered me and it bothered me because some, I don't even know who was preaching. Somebody preached on hell in a little old Southern Baptist church. Hellfire will save people. Amen. The fear of the Lord. Amen. That's right. We must fear God. This world doesn't fear God because they haven't heard this. You ask most people if, they, if they've ever read, if they know who Luke is. If they ever read the book of Luke. Look, and our society used to have Bible basis to it. The public education used to have the memorized scripture. You would turn on the radio and there would be gospel preaching all through the radio. It didn't matter whether it was a Pentecostal church, a Methodist church, a a Baptist church, independent or Southern. It didn't matter. They preached hell fire in the gospel. Now, they may have disagreed on some things about speaking on tongues. They may have disagreed on things about how you should dress, but they agreed on the gospel by and large. And the gospel was preached. So when you went and knocked on somebody's door and said, hey, God loves you, they believed that there was one God. They didn't believe in this Buddhism. They didn't believe in this, oh, maybe it's Allah. They didn't believe in all this stuff. That they now, they have these coexist junk out there where they think God is somehow coexisting with Muhammad. They're so confused. They're so lost out there in this world. When you knock on their door and go to present the gospel, they haven't heard it. They don't know. This is now like a foreign country. It's not the America of 1950s. You're plowing brand new ground. You're putting seed on ground where nobody's touched it. They didn't go to Sunday school growing up. And if they did, they weren't taught Bible. They were, they were, a movie was put on for them to watch. And video games. Their, their, their mind has been filled with so much junk. And so you go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, do I really have? Yes, you really have to open your Bible. Yes, you really have to preach the message that God gave for salvation. Yeah. To people that do not know. That's where we're at now. And then if they have gone along with this, then they, then they, okay, maybe hell's real. But they don't know who Jesus is. And they've maybe got enough fear to say, well, I'm going to live a good life. Turn with me real quick to Titus chapter 3. 
And there's a lot of scripture on this. We could go to scripture, to scripture, to scripture. And like I said, it's not one, hey, you need to go to this, you need to go to this, you need to go to this. You need to learn your whole Bible as much as you can and get as much as you can in your head and in your heart. And when the Holy Spirit says, hey, go here, go here, go here, then you learn this sword and how to yield it. Better and better and better. There's not a one way. So don't don't write this down. Okay, I'm going to go here for loss. Okay, they're, they're center. Okay, all right. Now I'm going to go here for the rat. Okay, and then I'm going to go here to the, so um, that, that's not what we're doing here. Right. I'm showing you all through the Bible. You can get this from all parts of the Bible. Right. But we got to stick to the message. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, Listen to this. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Amen. By the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. So then somebody does believe in hell. And they say, you know what? I'm not going to hell. You know why? Because I'm a pretty good person. And they've had this lie told to them that as long as they, they do these good works over here, that it will outweigh somehow their bad works. You know what that is? That's the yin and yang. Right. That's Buddhism, which is right. idolatry, which is demonic, is what it is. It's a devil's lie that is now that didn't used to be a part of American culture, and now it is. Right. Because Satan is still the same Satan from way back when he was doing Baal worship. Right. That hadn't changed none. Amen. And it's in our country, and it's in our country thick now. So somebody thinks our good's going to outweigh our bad, and they might not have the yin and yang and all that witchcraft displayed out there, but that spirit's there. You take them to this. You take them to, uh, there's so many verses on this. This This is a good one. It's not by works of righteousness. The Bible says all of your righteousness is a filthy rags. Not by work... Not, not of works, lest we should boast. It's all through your Bible. You say, well, which one do I go to? The one God tells you to. Amen. All of them. I don't know. Go where God tells to go. Go to as much scripture as God tells you to give them. Right. If the door is open, preach to them this message. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 11. And stick to the message. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And if by grace, help me out here, then it is no more of, it is no more of, I want everybody, everybody, no more of, it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more, come on now, grace. So, it's no more works, it's of grace. Because if it was of works, then it's no more grace. The two do not go together. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. The scripture's plain, it's so good. Pull out the Bible. Show it to them. And one way that you can do that is... You can sit there and quote scripture to them. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. God can use it. If the Holy Spirit guides you to do that, do that. You can also show it to them. You know, we have the book of John and Romans is typically what we go out with. It's right there. 
It's actually, I, I believe this is one of the underlined ones in there. And have them read it. It'll do something to them to read the word of God, to know that you're not making this thing up. That's right. And they see the words. There's, there's something to that. This book is alive. It's not dead. Right. It's not just a book like this hymnal. This is a great hymnal. But it's not my Bible. Amen. And it's not the word of God. The word of God is quick and it is powerful. And if you can get them to read these verses, it will, you'll watch their face. And it will have an impact as they read it. So they can't save themselves. So they get to the point where, okay, I'm, I'm a sinner. Okay, there is wrath and condemnation. I'm under condemnation. And there's scripture for that. We go to John 3 for that. There's a lot of scripture you can go for to that. Okay, I can't save myself. My righteousness is no good. Then you go to only Jesus can save you. That's the answer. Yeah. Turn with me, John 14. John 14, verse 6. Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a good one for Catholics, too. Yeah. Amen. Highlight that one, circle that one, memorize that one. There's no way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what you have to get somebody to understand, and God is the one that reveals this to them. Again, you're working with the Holy Spirit. You're working with your Father. So as you're going to these verses, it's not your ability to go to all the right verses even. The Holy Spirit guides and directs you and then begins to prick their heart and move their heart and their response to it. God will say, all right, now go to this scripture. God will say, okay, go this way with them. And God is dealing with that person. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There goes the priest. There goes the Catholic church. There goes your good works. Yeah. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So important. Go to Acts chapter 4. I know it's a lot of scripture, and I do not know what time it is, but this is important that we stick to the message and we know what the message is. If you, it, We can talk about being a witness. We can talk about, oh, we need to get out there, we need to get out there, we need to get out there. And God can give you the burden. But if you don't know the message... What are you going to do? Right. We got to know the message. We got to stick to the message. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none, uh, there was none other name given among men. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one name that'll save them. It's Jesus Christ. There's only, they say, okay, well, you know, well, I'll go to church. You hear that a lot. Or I've been baptized. I hear that a lot. You'll hear that a lot as you get out there. They're so confused, and they will begin to just throw words at you to get you to, to, to be happy with them, to say, okay, all right, you're good. And here's the other part of it, is if you were to give somebody a test, how much of a test would it be if you gave them the answers right next to it? Right. Yeah. But I really want them to pass the test. Right. And a sure way of getting somebody to pass the test is if I put the score key right next to it. Right. I know that because I was homeschooled and I found the score key. <laughs> 
God forgave me. <laughs> so did my parents. <laughs> but my point with this is so bad, you'll say, okay, they, they're professing to be saved. How are you saved? Right. And they're sitting there and they're, they get nervous. Yeah. They start looking at their wife. You know the answer? No, okay. And they, they're like, I don't know. Oh. And then so what we'll do is, oh, here's the answer. You believe in Christ alone, right? You're a sinner, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, and, and you'll give them all the answers. Yeah. And they'll say, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Oh, whatever. Whatever's going to get me off the hook here. Right. And if God, the Holy Spirit, gets them on the hook and is convicting them, yeah. and then you, you kindly just take them and slip them off the hook that the Holy Spirit just hooked them on, You've just given them the score key to the test where God was saying, hey, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. Right. You don't know. I know it's awkward silence sometimes. Yeah. But allow the Holy Spirit to work on them. Amen. And you wait there and let the Holy Spirit do business with them. Yeah. And they'll say, I don't know. Or they'll get so convicted. And you'll say, hey, have you, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever seen the scripture? And show them the scripture of where they're at. Don't just sit there and give them an answer. Yeah. You sit there and give them an answer. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to be overcritical. I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm, I'm trying to preach what God has me to preach. Amen. And, and in our society, we've become so softened that the salt has lost its savor. And so even though we have good intentions and we're wanting to, to get the gospel out there, we go, how can we do it so in a nice, gentle way that these people are going to be happy? And here's the danger in that is you create false converts. Because right. then you pat them on their back and say, well, you, okay, you're saved. And that's one of the worst things you can do to somebody who's lost is to tell them they're saved. Amen. To tell them that God is all right with them, that they're going to miss that. Maybe you turn to the wrath <clears throat> and God convicted them over his wrath that is coming. And then you said, okay, that rap's not for you when they're headed right for it. Right. How cruel. You want to say, I'm being cruel for making them nervous because they don't know how to get to heaven. They don't know where they're going to spend eternity. They're lost and going to hell. I'm not the cruel one for letting them, God expose them. That's not cruel. What's cruel is patting somebody on their back and saying, yeah, you're just fine, while they walk right off a bluff. That's what's cruel. Amen. So don't give them the answers when they, if they're asking for it. But don't just sit there and say, okay, this is what you need to... The Bible is the answer. Point them to the Bible. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. Wait on the Lord when you're dealing with these people. Wait on them. Wait on God to deal with them. Amen. And God will guide a conversation and direct you. All right. So, uh, turn with me here real quick to Hebrews. Hebrews. A lot of people say, okay, well, I'll take my chances. I do like one thing, and, and that's another neat thing about giving the gospel out with other people, is you do see, um, you can learn from each other where the Holy Spirit uses somebody. And I'm not saying, again, you're not just copying somebody because you're copying them. But boy, I did like this illustration 
that I believe God did give to Brother Sutton was you wouldn't jump out of a parachute unless you checked your parachute. Because so many people do like to just sit there and say, okay, well, I'll deal with eternity when I get there, I guess. You know, I'll figure it out later. But doing nothing is a sure way to go to hell. Doing nothing, there is no neutral ground with God Almighty. You're for him or you're against him. You're saved or you're lost. You're in light or you're in darkness. It's clear. Hebrews 2.3. How shall we escape? That's a good question, isn't it? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Once a person gets there and they're looking for an escape, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? They're realizing that they're neglecting the salvation that God is giving them. God is presenting them with a gift of salvation and they're neglecting it. You've got to, this all leads up to itself. You see, the Bible builds upon Bible. How shall we escape? They're wanting to escape. If we neglect, they're realizing there's rejection. Now, most people don't come out and say, yeah, I'm going to reject Christ today. They say, that's not for me. They say, maybe later. There's a lot of different ways to politely reject something, but at the end of the day, it's neglecting the salvation of God. We live, especially you get into the south or the hillbilly areas, and a lot of, there's a lot of polite people. And I'm thankful people are polite. I would much rather somebody politely reject than, than out flat punch me in the eye or something. I'd much rather somebody say, no, thank you. But just because they were polite about it doesn't mean they're not in this boat. Yeah, yeah that's right. They can be as polite as they want while they say, all right, that, that's great. See you later. I hope you have a great day. And they'll even go as far to say, God bless you. You keep the good work up. As they sit there and neglect the salvation. And we should be kind. And we should have the Holy Spirit in us that loves them. And they should be able to tell that we love them. But don't think just because somebody's kind that, okay, all right, we're going to let them go to hell now. We're not going to give them the truth because they were kind to us. Turn here real quick to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. You know, had the Holy Spirit not been dealing with that lady and guiding on that, it would have been real easy when she said, yeah, I received Christ as my Savior, to say, all right, that's great, let's go on. But the Holy Spirit knew what she needed to hear and where she was at and said, are you born again? Explain what born again is. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to continue to deal with somebody and the Holy Spirit is not done with that person, do not move on. Amen. You stay there as long as the Holy Spirit has you stay there. Right. And if the Holy Spirit says, all right, it's time, go. Amen. And that person's, they're stone cold, they're done, it's time to move on. You move on. Amen. And sometimes you got to kick the dust off and move on. Yeah. And sometimes you got to stay for an hour, hour and a half and breathe cigarette smoke. Yeah. You mind the Lord in all of this. Amen. That's right. Don't fight the Lord. He's the only one that's going to help you through this. Uh, where were we? Oh, Acts 3, verse 22. For Moses 
truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever ye sh- he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. There's only one way. There's only one way. They're going to be destroyed unless they listen to the word of God. You have the light. You have the word of God available to you. And then, and then we'll end on this. You guys are very familiar with this. We'll go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. The heart is desperately wicked. The heart, it, the Bible says, who can know the heart? It's desperately wicked. And I pre- I'm not trying to put you up or nothing, but a message on the heart that helped me. God used that. Because we go to this scripture all the time, and we should. It's Bible. But yet somebody's heart can be so far from this. Their heart can be so far from this, and their words can have it. But the the Bible starts with the heart. We're going to Romans chapter 10. We're very familiar with this. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be familiar with God's word. And we'll start there in verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? This is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep? This is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. We've been talking about what we're preaching, the message. It's the word of God has to get into their heart. It has to be nigh thee. We are sowers of what? We're not sowers of our opinion. We're not sowers of whatever the the church's uh, statement of faith is. We're not sowers of have a good conversation, pat you on the back and feel great. Or to create relationships for a social club. The world has all that to offer. If that's all we have to offer, we're just another another salesman coming to their door. We're the only thing that separates us is we're nobodies, but we've got God's word and the Holy Spirit. That's what's different. It's the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world. And the word is nigh. We're sowers of the word. And so when you sow the word, it goes nigh them, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. The word gets into their heart. And that is the word of faith which we preach. And this is what it brings forth, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confession is made. A newborn life will always have confession. A newborn life cries. A newborn calf, Looking for mama. Confession is made. And I'm not saying that they're going to be the greatest witness on the world. Maybe they will be. 
You know, there was a guy that street preached, and he's preaching in an alleyway, and, and he didn't even see this guy come up until after the message was over, and he said, did I just get saved? And he, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he's like, you said if I, if I confess the Lord and believe that he was buried and raised from the dead, and I, and I repent of my sin and call upon the Lord, I'd be saved. Is that true? And he said, well, yeah, if, if you believe on what the Bible says, then I'm saved. And well, it's, it's between, between you. That's what the Bible says. He, he was really stumbled. And he's like, I just got out of prison. He pulls out a 38 revolver and said, I was going to go visit my wife who cheated on him. And he's like, and now I'm going to go tell her I'm saved. And he unloads his, all the rounds out of his gun and the, the preacher's just in shell shock. You know, he's just, what, you know, is going on? And he's like, I've got to go tell her I'm saved. I've got kids. I've got to go tell them I'm saved. Will you drive me? And the preacher's like, well, I guess no. And so him and the other preacher that was with him threw him in the car. And the guy threw out his alcohol. God will do that. Yeah. God will clean somebody out. He didn't even preach on alcohol. He preached on this message right here, the message of salvation. And God begins to convict the heart, the Holy Spirit, that new man inside of him begins to say, hey, get rid of that. Get rid of this. I, I get real skeptical about when someone says they're saved and you see no change. You see no difference. Anyways, so this man says, drive me to the... So they're like, all right, we're going to stay in the car and we're going to let you out and you... You go talk to your wife. He walks up to the house. He's in his old duds and everything, smelling of alcohol. He walks up there, and they see the door open, but they keep the screen door locked. And they're real skeptical. And about four minutes goes by, and that door swings open, and he hugs and wraps his arms around those kids, and tears just flowing all over the place. And then about a week later, they saw that man with a Bible crunched up in his arm, had a guy pinned up against the wall, just giving him the gospel. This right here. And that man's still a street preacher to this day, as far as I know. But God will change somebody. This is the saving power because the word had gotten into his heart. And when the word's in your heart, it'll come out of your mouth. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But I'm saying the Holy Spirit does work inside of you. That's how you grow in the Lord. It's not a matter of, you know what you don't see here? is the sinner's prayer. Right. You know what you don't see here? Repeat after me. Amen. That's right. Our country's bought that hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Bible-believing churches have got a hold of, okay, you want to get, okay, you, wanna, you talk about giving somebody the answer. Right. If I give somebody the answer, is it their answer anymore? No. So why do we do it any different with salvation? The most important test they're ever going to face is what have they done with God Almighty? And you're going to sit there. You're not helping them by saying, repeat after me. Amen. What's this say right here? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, it comes out of their mouth from being in their heart and shall believe in thine heart Amen. that God hath raised them from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It's a heart Look at this. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the 
power of God unto salvation. The power is in the gospel. The power is in his word. It's not in the person. It's not even in the gospel track. But what you don't find in the Bible is a repeat after me prayer. If somebody wants to get saved, God's dealing with them and they have to call, it'll come out of their heart. It'll come right out of their heart and out of their mouth. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's a calling on him from what God does in your heart. It's not a, an emotional appeal that we're looking for. Tears will not save a person. No amount of uh, joy will save a person. No amount of feeling good or feeling bad will save a person. It's God pricking their heart that we're after. And that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does that through his workers, through the sowers. We are laborers together with Christ. But we need to labor. We need to have a burden. And we have to have a burden for this area. I'm going to read this here to you guys. I don't want this to be taken the wrong way whatsoever. I'm for missionaries. I'm for missionaries. We ought to support missionaries. There's a lost and dying world, and the Bible very clearly says to all the earth, to every creature, I'm for missionaries. Here in the United States, we've got a problem, though. We've got a problem where we'll give money to the missionaries, we'll give money to the preacher, and we'll sit at home. And we'll say, well, we did our part, we gave our money. And there's, that's, something's wrong with that, bad wrong according to the Bible. God put this responsibility of being a witness on every single one of us. And there's a poem. I don't know who, who uh, wrote this poem. The author is unknown. But it really helped with, with the burden here. It says, We're concerned for the sinner in China, the heathen in Mandalay, but say, do we care? Have we offered a prayer for the neighbor just over the way? We say the, we would go with the gospel to lighten the dark African shore. Have we spoken a word in the name of the Lord to the people who live next door? The farmer who lives down the highway, who looks so forbidding and grim, do we have no call to witness at all or speak of the Savior to him? We take the gospel to the savages. We've crossed the stormy tide, but we cannot tell out what the gospel is about to the fellow who works by our side. We tell of our wonderful Savior and his love we have found so sweet to the hot and not, but certainly not to his friends whom we meet on the street. Oh, we would be missionaries. Oh, go out, go and go out to the lost ones to seek. We will send a preacher to Hindustan and we'd give for testaments for Japan, but never a word will we speak. And there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. We ought to have a burden for the souls right here in our area. We ought to have a burden for those overseas as well. And God does raise missionaries up. And we ought to support those missionaries. But that is not an excuse to sit on our hands and not read the word of God and not go forth. 
We've got the message. We've got the only message that they have that, that's worth hearing. The truth in a dark world. To a lost and dying world out there who's stumbling around. Running into this and running into that. And you go in there, you've got the light, we've got the message. Stick to the message. Stick to the salt. Keep it salty. Just like the Bible has it. God has got the right balance. Pray, be full of the Holy Spirit, and mind God as you're witnessing. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you'd use this message to help your church, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a burden, Lord, again, for lost sinners, Lord God, specifically for this area, Lord God. Right now, Lord God, I pray you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us a burden, Lord, for the lost souls. For those wandering out there, Lord God, I pray, Lord, you guide us and direct us to the right places, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to lean on you and not into our own understanding, Lord God, our own knowledge or our own intellect, Lord God. Lord, may you kindle a fire in our heart, Lord, that we just can't help ourselves like Jeremiah, Lord, to go and preach your word, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, not to grow weary, Lord, in well-doing. Help us, Lord God, not to get so puffed up in our own knowledge, Lord God. Lord, we're nobodies. I have no ability, Lord God. We lack the power. We don't have any power, saving power in and of ourselves, Lord God. You've got all the power, Lord God. And Lord, we're asking, Lord, to fill us with your power, Lord, to make known the mystery of the gospel, Lord God. Fill us. Help us to know which verses to turn to, Lord God, what to say, what not to say, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to mind you, Lord. Help us not to be distracted, Lord, with the things of this world, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd bind Satan, Lord. Rebuke him in Jesus' name, Lord. Drive him out from before us, Lord God. Before we even hit the premises, Lord God, break down the walls, Lord God. Loose these people from their wickedness, Lord, from the entrapments of sin and religion, Lord God. Free them, Lord. Lord, I pray you do this, Lord, not to bring glory to this ministry, not to bring glory to the church, Lord God, but to bring glory to you, Lord. We're nobodies, Lord God. And Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, that we can labor with you. I'm thankful, Lord, that you that you chose me, Lord, to labor with you, Lord. I thank you for it. Have mercy upon me, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to repent, Lord, when we get in the flesh. Lord, help us not to walk in the flesh, Lord. Our own flesh is a big, our biggest hindrance sometimes, Lord. And we need your help, Lord, to walk in the Spirit. Lord, you said if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Lord. And I need your help, Lord. I need your help now, Lord, to walk into the Spirit, Lord. Lord, help me to have a spiritual mind. Put on the mind of Christ, Lord God, not a carnal mind, Lord. Strike the carnal thoughts out of my mind and my heart, Lord God. Create in me, Lord, a a clean heart, a new heart, Lord God, that would be pleasing to you that you can use us, Lord. Make us meet for the master's use, Lord God. Lord, help us not to be ashamed, Lord. Oh, Lord God, I don't want to be ashamed of you. In any way, shape, or form, Lord God, help us, Lord, to have the boldness, Lord, to make known the mystery of the gospel, the whole gospel, Lord God. We don't want to cut anything out of it, Lord. We just want to preach your words faithfully, Lord, but we need your help to do that, Lord, and we're asking for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.